Turn with me then, friends, this evening for our hope and instruction to the passage that we read in the Gospel of John. At the end of chapter 19, verse 41, we read, Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new sepulchre, wherein never man yet laid. There laid they Jesus, therefore, because of the Jews' preparation day for the sepulchre was nigh at hand. <clears throat> Friends, you know that we have been looking at one garden after another, that Garden of Eden, and that garden in the Song of Solomon, and then the Garden of Gethsemane, where our Savior suffered so much. And now, lastly, another garden where they laid the body of the broken body of our Savior. And I want to invite you this evening into that garden. Will you come with me? Will you come with me into that garden? Let me call it the Garden of Grace, a place of grace. If you will go there, friends, and see what others saw, then it will be a gracious garden for your soul tonight. Are you willing? Are you ready? As we enter that garden, <clears throat> well, you must first of all recognize that this is a holy garden. And then you'll see that it is a heavenly garden. And further, you'll see that it is a healing garden. And lastly, that it is a heartening garden. I trust that you'll experience that garden tonight. Well, why? First of all, it is a holy garden. And it was a holy garden, but it wasn't made holy by those whom it belonged to. Even these grieving Jews and grieving women, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, in their best efforts for the one that they loved, despite these hundredweight of Spices, what a cost that must have been. What a fortune was laid out.
he may he was we're told that he was with the rich in his death and here it was but friends all that myrrh did not make that body holy it was a body that had been violated cruelly by sin and by wickedness and there it was in all its tragic features a visage marred more than any man's what a sight to be left there solemnly in that tomb they couldn't make it holy but it did become a holy place it was made holy by a resurrected christ you notice that jesus says when mary comes to her touch me not he advised her not to touch that new body that risen body of his what does that remind you of do you remember how when we believe this same christ appeared to moses in the burning bush he said draw not near for this is holy ground it was made holy by the living presence of the one who was in the bush and so when the living presence of christ came back to that body of his it sanctified that place and mary found herself you could say in the holy of holies when you look into that when she looked into that sepulcher she saw two angels one at the head and one at the foot where the body of jesus had lain what does that remind you of doesn't it remind you of these cherubim within the sanctuary who spread their wings over the mercy seat of the ark of the covenant placed there in the holiest of all how much more was this a holy place what mercy was there displayed in the sacrifice and the blood of christ the mighty savior oh what all should have overtaken all who ventured there it was made holy and it will make made holy and our hearts will be like that garden they will be made holy if we recognize the one the holy son of god the mediator between god and men <clears throat> and the father made it holy for we sing in that psalm psalm 16 thou shalt not suffer thine holy one thine holy one to see corruption 
thou shalt not. The father was there, guarding that precious remains, that a lamb slain. And so that made this place a holy, holy garden. For the father was active in this regard. And when we look at Second, First Corinthians 15, we'll have some comment that will illuminate our thoughts. At verse 43 of Corinthians 15, it is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. That dishonored body was laid like a seed in that tomb. But it sprung up like a new plant. As the scripture says, the first fruits of them that sleep. And it was a glorious body. It was raised in glory. It was sown in weakness. It is raised in power. That's what we're seeing. That's what these men, that's what that uh, weeping Mary saw. And came to realize, here was the glorious body of the Son of God in our nature. And it made that garden a holy, holy place. Have we experienced holiness even over this season of sacrament? Have we felt the holy activity and presence of the Father and of the Son and of the Spirit? Sanctifying our hearts, so that our hearts become like that garden where the resurrection comes home to us in power. Christ is raised up in our faith and experience. It was a holy garden. But even further, friends, it was a heavenly garden. How come? Well, it was occupied by the denizens of heaven. Angels came and sat and rested there. They didn't just flutter there and move around. No, they settled and rested. And so they brought heaven down to earth. They brought heaven down to that garden, it became a heavenly place because it was occupied by these heavenly citizens. Mary didn't even scarcely realize who they were. Friends, how often are we like these disciples? What happened when Peter came and John came? They didn't even see that they were in the presence of heaven. No wonder it says in Mark that they still disbelieved. What a painful reality is our lack of faith. How often have you been conscious that the angels are visiting us, that when we worship, we join 
with an innumerable company of angels. It's as if heaven comes down as the Spirit visits us. And who knows how many of these glorious worshippers participate with us. Oh, how blind we are in our brokenness and discouragements and grief. Yet, friends, is not, are we not here in the garden of grace, the garden of holiness, the heavenly garden? And Jesus was there himself. Don't you remember what he said to Nathaniel? Truly I say unto you, you shall see the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Can you see it, friends? Can you see that that's why these angels are there? Because Christ, our mediator, has established a stairway from this morning world to the high vistas of glory so that there's a free access for these angels to come and visit his church to protect us and to protect his gospel. Yes, it's a holy garden. Make that garden. Enter that garden tonight, my friends. Sense that, see that stairway that Jacob saw. Poor, sinful, supplanter was welcomed to the very entrance of heaven. So he said, truly, this is the gate of heaven. Oh, how often we fail, friends when you get down on your knees or when you come into the church to see that you're a fruit of that glorious stairway. Angels delight to traverse that stairway, which is the mediatorial Christ who has joined heaven to earth. Yes, we can even put it this way. This is a heavenly garden because it's glorified. It's occupied by citizens of heaven. It's established as the stairway to heaven. It is glorified by the heavenly man. Corinthians again, 15, verse 48 tells us, just listen. As is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy. And as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. And as we born the image of the earthy, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly, of the heavenly man, the Lord from heaven. There standing before Mary, was the heavenly man. He brought heaven by his very nature, by his very perfection, by his very glory, by his very grace. That garden was filled with the glory of heaven. Oh, that Mary had looked into his face when her eyes were filled with tears. 
how slow she was to expect that she was in the very portals of heaven, unaware, so full of tears. It was a heavenly garden, friends. But look at this also. It was a healing garden. It was a healing garden because sick people were there in particular. Look at Mary. She needed healing. She needed healing for her vision. How could she be so blind? That's what happens when we're filled with grief. That's what happens when we face overwhelming discouragements and disappointments. And isn't that so often the portion of our church and of our ministers and of our elders, our members, our parents, even our children at times? We get overwhelmed with the grief and don't realize that grief is not the end for any who trust him. It's only a passing experience. Mary's was sick with grief. She had lost her vision. She couldn't see anything because of the tears kept flowing, flowing, flowing. And when she saw this figure at the gate, <clears throat> at the door of the sepulchre, she couldn't even recognize the one that she'd known and lived with so closely for these year or two. The one who meant everything to her, she didn't recognize. Are you like that, friends? Do you come into our service sometimes? You don't even realize that Christ is present. You get no indication. Your eyes are blinded by tears. But Jesus has come to turn to wipe away your tears. He gives you a vision of himself as he did to Mary. Says here, <clears throat> she said to them, the angel said, because, she said, why are you weeping? Because they've taken away my Lord. I don't know where they've laid him. There's been a lot of grief in the news recently about a poor woman that was lost. And it was great. The whole nation was wondering, where is she? Here is Mary. She can't find him. And it's overwhelming, crushing. In fact, so much, so much so, friends, that we see here a woman with a broken heart. And she's not the only one. Isn't it the same case with the disciples? Do you know what it is to have a broken heart because the Savior is missing? The Savior who you know is the only one who can possibly give you hope for your life. The only one who is able to deal with your sin. The only one who can give you hope for heaven. And yet, you say, seems as if I can't find him. But Jesus comes and he heals her vision. He opens her eyes. 
just with a word, he says, Mary. And all of a sudden, her tears are gone, and her eyes are opened, and he's there. He's there. Friends, can you see him? Can you see him? He's showing himself in the word. He just speaks a word. You're not hearing it. Christ is speaking tonight. Open your eyes so you can say, I see him. He healed her vision. And he healed her heart. What was the situation with Mary? Why was she wanting that body? That dead body. No life in it. No miracles from a dead body. No words of comfort. The lips were silent, and yet she wanted that body. You know what, is, what the state was? She had come to the conclusion that she had nothing left but that body. It's the only thing she had. And because of her love for her Savior, she had decided, I'm going to dedicate myself to grieving. I'll live the rest of my life in grief. If I can only find him and place him in a sepulcher for permanent place, I will spend my life going there. You know that poor little dog in Edinburgh, Greyfriars Bobby, devoted to his master. His master died, and that dog sat on his grave. Every day, for weeks and months and even years, until he died himself. Because his heart was broken for his master. Poor Mary. Similar state, isn't she? She's got nothing but grief ahead of her. Jesus comes. And what does she discover? He's alive. He's here. He knows me. The relationship that death broke has been restored, and my heart is healed. Oh, friend, do you have a heart that needs to be healed tonight? Jesus is speaking to you. Those that are broken in their heart and grieve it in their minds, he healeth. And their wounds he tenderly upbinds. What's wounding you tonight, my friend? What's crippling you? What's hindering your Christian walk? Oh, friend, Christ has come to heal. He's here. And then there's this, friend. The third healing that is manifest in this garden is this. It's healing for her brethren. When she tastes the blessing and the power of the Lord Jesus and his glory, he sends her on her way. He says, no, you can't wait here. There's something you must do for me. And what does he say? He says, go, tell my brethren. What does that word brethren say? He doesn't say disciples. 
He says, brethren, why does he have to use that word brethren? Because these disciples said, were saying to themselves, you know, we are no longer belong to Christ. We've deserted him. We failed. The relationship's gone. We've lost him because of our behavior. He was there in the garden. Any loving brother would have stuck by him, but we didn't. So much so that they were scattered here and there, it seems, until they got this word. Tell my brethren. Perhaps Mary had to go from place to place and say, here's the message. For, his, for my brothers. And she went round. And when they, when they were healed with the living message of Jesus, they came together once more and they were ready, apart from Thomas, to meet him that night. Oh, what happened to Thomas, it seems. It didn't come through to him. My brother, Thomas, you too. Are you one like Thomas? You haven't heard the word, the Jesus saying, my brother, my sister, don't you know that I'm yours and you are mine? That's the way we're healed. The holy garden, are you in it tonight? A heavenly garden, are you looking up? A healing garden, are you feeling healed? Are you applying the balm? Christ's promises and assurance. Well, lastly, there's a heartening garden, friends. Why is this a heartening garden for his church? It's because the mediator is revealed, says here in verse 17. Say to them, I ascend to my father, and your father. What does that say? They knew about his father. How often did he mention his father? But now he's saying, there's a perfect relationship established. That father becomes, that father of mine becomes your father because I, through me, and my mediation, that father becomes our father. He reveals himself as the one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. That's the message they needed to know. That's what it's all about. That was why Judas betrayed. That is why the high priests scoffed and condemned. That's why Pilate delivered him up. That's why he went up that hill of Calvary. That's why he was nailed and pierced and crowned with thorns. It was to establish the new covenant in his blood and to establish an eternal covenant to seal it with his blood. And so it's a garden of grace because of that dear relationship between us and him. And he's saying to us again, he's your father and my father, and I am the union 
the passage, the bond by which you're united to the God of Israel, the mediator revealed. Also, the covenant was sealed. Because when they arose, they could see that he was a living sacrifice. The evidence of the lamb slain. The perfect sacrifice was there. That by one offering he has sanctified forever. Those who are his. It had been done. The covenant was waiting for that seal before the New Testament in his blood could be published. And here he is saying, I say, I, I can now declare that I'm carrying this evidence of my body up there to the Father. And forever I will be there. And forever that one sacrifice will perpetually be efficacious in uniting my people to myself and to my Father throughout eternity. The covenant was sealed. Isn't that heartening? Does that do your heart good? If it doesn't, there's nothing else can. And here's the third thing that's heartening. The rift is healed. The enmity. So that Paul had to say that Christ died for sinners. That he died in love for his enemies. While we were yet enemies, Christ died for the ungodly. Here it is. Here's the reality of it. What did it achieve? A covenant was sealed. And we can now have pleasant and open and pardoned fellowship with the Father. Because that aggression, that enmity between us, our sinful hearts and his holiness has been reconciled. He has reconciled us to himself. Our friends, let's end this communion with this glorious thought. We've considered remembering, excuse me, the death of our Lord and receiving of his broken body and his shed blood. What has it all meant? Wasn't just a nice experience. No, it was a glorious and powerful resolution of the problem of sin once and for all in the sacrifice of his son. Friends, are you receiving that grace? Did you enter that garden by faith tonight? And receive of that grace, that holy garden, that heavenly garden, that healing garden, that heartening garden. May it be so for his glory. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, the blessed gardener who Mary saw. Do that work in our souls. Plant these seeds of faith and joy and peace and rejoicing. 
so that we may go on our way, even though we have to leave this place, yet may the fragrance of that garden follow us as thy spirit embeds these truths in our hearts and souls and makes us strong in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. We ask for his sake. Amen.